This episode of the Brilliance Plus Passion Podcast is brought to you by Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. Are you ready to finally solve those pesky issues that keep holding back your business success and never seem to go away? Embrace the power of the spring formula that unearths the issues and opportunities burrowed beneath the surface and grow your business so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Claim your copy today at www.thegroundhogbook.com. Welcome to the Brilliance Plus Passion Podcast. Join us as we celebrate entrepreneurs, business creators, and brilliant minds who reveal what they are doing to make the world a better place by being part of it. Be sure to visit our website at www.brilliancepluspassion.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now sit back, lean in, tune in, get your notepad and two pens ready, and let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to once again tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Brilliance Plus Passion Project, we speak with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and change makers who make the world a better place by being part of it and by their contributions to it. Today, we're going to be speaking with somebody who I've been chatting with him for a few minutes in the green room. I can tell you he's a heck of a guy. You're going to enjoy this one. His name is Darius Ross. He's a real estate and business acquisition expert and speaker. Uh, He's been in real estate for over 35 years and construction industries, and all this enables him to develop projects and acquire portfolios of investments. Uh, I will tell you one little thing. I'll let him tell you the rest of the story, but I do know that uh, overall, his work has had a gross asset value of over a billion dollars. So this is definitely somebody you want to listen to. Darius Ross, great to have you here. Welcome aboard. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Appreciate it. All right. All right. So uh, first question we'd like to ask here is, how does the work you do make the world a better place for your clients, customers, and the world at large? Well, one of the biggest things is providing quality housing and places of residency for low and moderate income families. And a lot of cases establishing um, the stepping stones to wealth creation. And home ownership provide people a way to climb themselves to a different level of opportunities. Right, right, right. And uh, just in your own words, what is it do you actually do? I'm in the property acquisition, property management business, and in short, uh-huh. provide departments within the multifamily sector and the arena. And in short, a landlord providing opportunities for people to be able to enjoy quality housing. Okay, so what I'm hearing here is. And again, this may almost sound like I'm reading your words back to you. I just want to make sure I understand your place in this. And this is somewhat familiar to me because I'm in the process of looking for a new place myself. Um, you, uh, you, uh, you know, are you in property management, which means basically for various properties, you are the landlord. You're the person, yeah. your company is the one that the, the tenants call. And then there's a side of that also where you work with investors to acquire properties. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's a very that's a pretty common model, and uh, and I can see how and I can see how you've been successful with that. There's a huge demand for that sort of thing these these days. Uh, just, out of, just out of curiosity, uh, 
how do I how do I phrase this question? I want to throw an extra one in here for you because it looks like we're gonna have a little extra time for you. Um, are you noticing any? I don't know how long you've been in this business, uh, other than thirty five years you've been in the industry, but in this particular business, are you noticing like a major shift that they like I hear about in the media about people who just have no interest in home ownership whatsoever, like ever? I'll give you an idea, and I've done this on a number of different other podcasts. America is going to become a renter country. Yeah. Now, that's a bold statement, but I'm predicting it. And in 10 years, you will see 100 million renters because nobody wants to be in the property business. They don't want to be in the ownership business. They don't want to do taxes, the insurance, and the upkeep of the property. So we're heading toward America being in the rental business, i.e., Europe and so forth. So we're there. Yeah. Well, you know, the way I see it is I have never had any interest in ho- home ownership. You know, every so often, like anybody who rents, you, know, you may find that you're welcome at the place you're at is just kind of exhausted, or maybe the place is just not what it originally was. Maybe there's a new management company that's in that. Uh, and again, I mean this with all respect, because I know there are a lot of great management companies out there, including yours, but maybe a new management company uh, has come in. It just isn't quite cutting the mustard. And uh, you're just not going to beat your fist on the wall. You're just going to move. Or maybe after five years, like, you know, the heck with it. Let's just do something different just for a change. Uh through every time I go through that process, which is every three to five years, give or take, although I can tell you that in my track, in my history, there are two eight-year blocks of me staying in the same place for eight years. Every time I announce this, I have these folks come out of the woodwork say, you know, but it would be so much cheaper just to buy. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> and then and then, and then it'd say, but, you know, you think you're avoiding taxes. You, you pay taxes in your rent. It's like, no shit, Sherlock. Really? You, th- you think it doesn't get passed to me? <laughs> if I'm a property taxes, usually are not that big a deal. If you if it's it's like when people claim that uh, being concerned about gas prices right now is a sign of a poverty mindset. Now, for a lot of folks, gas prices are a real thing, and it's causing them to have to make budgetary decisions. Particularly if one or more members of the household has a long commute to and from work. Uh, that being said, that being said, uh, you know. For a lot of folks, you know, if you have a prosperity mindset, you just make a couple extra bucks. But like with property taxes, that never bothered me. It's like, whatever. Um, Or the thing of, you know, buying a, you know, buying a property is a way of investing. You always lose money by renting because you're not building an asset. And to which I answer, and I think you may actually chuckle out of this, like, well, if I ever decide to buy property, I'll buy something I'm going to rent out. Wasn't it Grant Cardone who said, "Never, li- you know, never live in the place you buy." Correct. Yeah, it's not appreciating asset. I mean, I'll go out and live for a second just to cut you off real quickly. And this is a simple thought: there are a lot of millionaires that are in properties that are for rent. So let's yeah. make sure that's very clear. The other side of coin to that is is that not everybody is capable of being a property owner. Because not everybody's going to walk around and see what problems are going on with the property. Some of them just prefer to call me and say, listen, can you fix the plumbing? Can you fix the electrical? Can you change the light bulb? There's more of that than there are people that want to own a home. Right. The last 30 years. Right, right, certainly. So um, in your experience, Darius, what are a few of the common questions that people have when they're learning more about what you do, thinking about getting involved with you, like the frequently asked questions? 
don't you hate being a landlord? Are you not <laughs> making a killing in this business? And how's the market right now? Yeah, Here's yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. What about a couple questions you wish they would ask? Um, how tough are the times? Uh-huh. Um, are you negotiable during tough times? Like what happened during COVID? That's a tenant question. Um, do you prefer pets and the drugs and the tenants and that issue? And then last but not least, from the lender's standpoint, I'd love to hear a lender say, I'm going to negotiate with you during this process. During COVID and all these problems, I'd love to hear you talk about negotiation. You know, are you willing to turn around and stay with me through the tough times of these little processes? Yeah. Absolutely. So this is the point where we shift and we have a little bit of fun. So let's shift gears. First of all, Darius, what would people who know you be surprised to learn about you? I'm a collector. I collect magazines, books, DVDs, cassette tapes, all types of music genres and those kind of things. And with that in mind, I'm a DJ self-taught. So a maestro of ones and twos. Wow. That, uh, I mean... This is really our first time talking, but these are things even I wouldn't have guessed. And we love to ask that question because folks will take these episodes and share them with their networks. And we like to give their listeners something a little bit fresh about them. So here's the next thing. What do you hope people say about you when you're not around to hear it? I'm a go-getter, a hustler, a grinder. He's the guy that goes to and make it happen. Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. If you could go back in time and change one thing you've done, one thing you've experienced, or one thing that happened, what would it be and why? Um, when I got to real estate, it was a winding road. It included getting terminated from a job. It included going through all kinds of processes to get there. So the number one thing I would have done would have been found the top people in the real estate business at that time, got into it at 18, and from that point forward, found the top-notch people in the industry, put them all together, and created a hundred thirty dollars because people were there, timing was there, about the late 80s, early 90s, and more importantly speaking, it was a point in time where there was a lot of opportunity to take advantage of it. So I would have created my real estate swap teams, and we would have just bought everything in sight. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow, that's, 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 that's interesting. So uh, if what famous person, alive or dead, would you like to meet? And if you had the opportunity, what question would you ask them? Uh, Henry Kissinger. Henry the Kissinger, question, wow, that's that's a first. Go ahead. The question would be, now knowing what you know with Asiatic politics, Russian politics, in the 1950s through the 1980s, what would you have done differently to change the dynamics of America's input on global politics? That's intriguing. Now, I'm very much into history. I was a political science major in college. <laughs> My avocation is, I mean, I... I devour books about history. I, mm-hmm. I read more about I read more about I read more history books and business books. And the way I explain that is by reading books about history, historical events, um, autobiographies, biographies. That's part of my business education. You get to see how folks and responsible decisions dealt with real issues in real time, and you can learn a thing or two. One of my Stories, and this will be basically about one of Kissinger's contemporaries, Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he, uh, yeah, he was both our oldest and our youngest Secretary of Defense because he served twice. He was White House Chief of Staff under Gerald Ford. Um, he was Director of the OEO. He did a lot of things where Dick Cheney was one step behind him. 
Mm-hmm. Now, during the OEO days, Rumsfeld is as the director would uh, he create? I think they, I think they called them snowflakes or something. But right. basically, it was post-it notes, and he would write all these things down: things that needed done, ideas he had, <laughs> things he wanted to pursue, instructions, <laughs> and he would give those to um, what in those days was called a secretary. Sure. Now she was getting a flood of these, sometimes forty or fifty in a day. So <laughs> she. Um, went to Rumsfeld's aide, uh, you know, Dick Cheney, which is a recurring mm-hmm. theme in uh, both their careers, and asked for Cheney's help with this. So she would meet with Cheney on a regular basis, and he would help her sort out which of the snowflakes actually required action, mm-hmm. and which one's just to sort of hold on to in case Rumsfeld ever remembered. Now, <laughs> one day, Cheney, Cheney's in his office, and he gets a call from the te- secretary saying, um, uh, Dick... We need you in the office, like, right now. Oh, that was Alessandra. She's uh, knocking over my camera here. She's getting rolled. She loves historical stories. All right, so so, so, so Cheney goes down there, and he, wa- he walks in the, the secretary's office, and he sees Rumsfeld standing, hovering over her, and mm-hmm. there are two piles of these Post-it notes on the desk. Mm-hmm. And Rumsfeld looks at him and says, Cheney, what the hell took you so long? All right, now that you're both here, I just want you both to know, I know what you're doing. Uh (laughs) All right, that's it, get back to work. So here's what we learned about that, and I bring this up as an example. Uh, In in the culture of those days, for Rumsfeld to acknowledge that he needed any help at all, managing his day or that he needed somebody to manage him, particularly his secretary, would have been instant career suicide. So he couldn't exactly come out and say, thanks, guys. I know I'm a scatterbrain and i got a zillion ideas. Thanks for keeping me focused so that uh, I know I can count on you. He couldn't quite say that, but he had to convey the message without actually saying it. So what we get from that are shifts we've seen over time in organizational culture, in leadership styles, and some of the realities behind the communication. It's one thing to go to some class on workplace communication and see how it should be done. And then you find out that there are real people with real personalities who have real pain in the ass ways of being sometimes and learning another set of skills, which is even more critical is how to read and edit people. So that you get their meaning, not necessarily the colloquialisms. So Cheney and the secretary both realized what Rumsfeld was saying, he was saying, guys, thanks. I really appreciate it. But he had to act like he was mad and he had to, and he had to put it out there that nobody tells me what to do. I don't need any help. I'm in charge here. Again, because for him to even allow a hint of that out would have been career suicide given just the nature of what that culture was like in those days. And to this degree may still be. So let's, uh, let's wrap up here. We have a couple more questions for you. Uh, what motivates and inspires Darius Ross when he is having a tough time or facing a challenge? I take it akin to the process of the cultural aspect of African-Americans coming to this country. Yeah. With 400 years of oppressive behavior and conditions and the 100 million people that cross the shores from Africa to Glory Island and on into the Americas, I owe them a debt of gratitude to never surrender, never retreat, and never defeat. And no matter what, to say I got this, because I know somewhere in heaven, they're looking down upon this saying, okay, despite the sufferings that we went through, you had nothing to go through. 
you can keep going, you can keep on trolling, you can keep on grinding. So that's what I always do. Nice, nice, nice. All right, so I know you have a gift for our audience, and I'm going to share it with them for you. But real quick, in general, what is one action you would recommend our listeners take as soon as they finish listening to this episode in about a minute or so? I want them to go on Google, YouTube, or any of those uh, platforms and take the time out to look at some of the speeches I've done, some of the things I've said, and realize that for those entrepreneurs that are struggling and trying to have a hard time, to think about here was an urban guy that came from nothing and was part country boy and came from this little town in Mississippi that grew up there you know, for a short period of time and how he created his own entrepreneurial empire and took his own you know, path to a different level. So they can get that mindset of nothing's impossible and that they can create their dreams despite any adversity. Nice, nice. All right, so let me share your gift. And here it comes. So for those of you who are out walking or driving, I'll say it out loud one time. For everybody else, look in the notes on this post on our website at www.brilliancepluspassion.com. Visit Darius Ross's website. It's www.darius, D-A-R-I-U-S-A, Ross.com. That's www.dariusaross.com. And you'll find some of the things that he just mentioned some of the videos, some of the resources, some of the articles, some of the information. Uh, there's also a podcast. And what you're going to want to do is make sure that you sign up to get your copy of the latest short ebook derived from Darius Ross's full book about the importance of taking advantage of what he calls the TPS principles. Again, it's www.dariusaross.com. And with that, Darius Ross, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Tommy, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for tuning into the Brilliance Plus Passion podcast, where we celebrate entrepreneurs, business creators, and brilliant minds who are making a difference for their community, market, and audience. Remember to visit our website at www.brilliancepluspassion.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Brilliance Plus Passion Podcast. Oh,